welcome everyone to episode 191 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, featuring myself, Ben. And I am David, and happy Father's Day, Ben. Oh, and happy Father's Day to you, too. Thank you. This marks our fifth anniversary of podcasting. Excellent. You know what we should have done? We should, we should have done a Father's episode. Father's all, Day. All the fathers. <laughs> yeah. All the fathers. Are there many fathers? There are quite a lot of fathers. There are. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm thinking of uh, closing time with the Cyber Dad. The Cyber Dad, indeed. Corden. James Corden. Yeah, James Corden. He does a chat show now in the States. But then, of course, there's the evil dad in... Fear Her. Uh, uh, no. Uh, what's the one where they go back to the 50s? And there's Idiot's a, Lantern. Idiot's Lantern, yeah. 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 Uh, hmm. Uh, so well, Fear a, Her, too, was... Yeah, he was definitely an evil dad. That's true. Yeah. That's true. So it's a mix. A mix of Doctor Who. A mix of dads. <laughs> um, so, but what is, our, what, what is our subject for this week? Well, we're not going to talk about fathers. We're going to talk about monsters, in particular, giant monsters. Yep. And the question I have is, when writers can't think of anything terrifying, do they just make a monster big? Does just making a monster huge, giant, make it that much more scary? Uh, that's, a, that's a very interesting question, and pretty much a question that can only be answered in the context of Doctor Who, I think. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to go chronologically, possibly, or possibly. do you just want to do like a free form on this? Just see where it goes. We don't have a shared list. I had my research intern uh, compile me a list. Uh, and I... Thank you, Elliot. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I sadly do not have access to an intern, so I compile my own list. I think it's pretty comprehensive. <laughs> I mean, it starts out because, you know, obviously one does it chronologically. It starts out chronologically, mm -hmm. so maybe we could start at the beginning and then see where the uh, the different categories of giant monsters takes us. Okay. Yeah. The er earliest story I have on my list is the giant ants, the zarbi, in the web planet. And I also had the giant ants, the zarbi, in the web planet, but... Did you go with Planet of the Giants? And it's a big but. Um, I was also thinking about Planet of the Giants. Hmm. Um, is, yeah. Is... If when you're made small, are other things giant, or are you just small? I mean, it kind of reminds me, I don't know how many of our listeners enjoy the uh, Irish sitcom Father Ted, but uh, <laughs> uh, it reminds me of, of, of Father Ted and, and Father Dougal um, talking about some cows, where Dougal, uh, Father Dougal mistakes some cows that are in a field as being very small, and uh, Ted has to explain that um, these cows... <laughs> <laughs> this cow is small but those cows are far away so anyway yes so it's 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 it's, it's like leela in uh Indeed, the doctor exactly in, exactly is that the beginning of robots of death robots of death exactly yeah you just you just have something that's far away but you make sure that it's in the same place and then you can fit a big thing into a small thing because it looks small because it's far away <laughs> which is very nice yeah um, yeah, so I, that, I think I think that's an interesting question. So I guess we have the giant fly and earthworms and other insects, and the cat is huge and terrifying. And I think that does set up the whole idea that if you make everyday things or just anything bigger, it becomes scary. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, let's start dotting around a little bit. I mean, if mm -hmm. if you if you don't mind, then I no, will not also, at all. I will also add in giant rat oh. from uh, Wang Chiang. Mm -hmm. um, giant maggots from the Green Death. 
giant clams from Genesis? Um, I was also going to say giant seaweed from Fury from the Deep. Well, it certainly is giant in the animated form. Yes. They did supersize it, and again, I think, to make it much more menacing and scary. Uh, it kind of made it slightly sillier, but certainly, yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, though, the concept of giant aggressive seaweed is kind of silly to begin with. But um, yeah, no, I mean, again, and I think if you look at the rats and the maggots, um, what you're doing is you're taking things that are kind of intrinsically, we, we feel a sense of disgust towards because we associate them with rotting food or rotting material. You blow giant maggots up to a giant, to drive maggots up to a giant size, then they are scary. Similarly with a rat, I think. Though I think with the maggots, I think there's also a further metaphor that the earth is dying and the maggots are feeding on its corpse. Right. Because as we all know, maggots only eat things that are dead. Mm -hmm. Well, I think Gareth Roberts also did it with the Vestiform in the Unicorn and Wasp, where you have a giant wasp too. Again, it's not really that terrifying of a monster. I, I suppose some people are very allergic to wasp and their sting could be fatal to them, but... If you make it a giant wasp, it's that much more terrifying. Donna just can't swat it and kill it. And of course, as we know, that giant wasp is taken from the front cover of an Agatha Christie novel, which I remember seeing that in a bookshop when I was a child and thinking like, wow, that must be the most awesome book ever. Um, And then my mother sadly telling me that, no, it's just a detective story. It's not a story about giant wasps attacking (laughs) aeroplanes. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's again, it's 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 an uh, Father Dougal mistaking a small wasp for a, <laughs> a giant for a wasp. Giant, for a giant wasp. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and, and again, I think also, I don't know whether you would let me also include, um, and this is maybe stretching the kind of uh, small things become giant mm-hmm. nucleus of the swarm. Oh, yes. It's kind of the inverse of the planet of the giants. Yeah, yeah. A small thing becomes big rather than normal things become small. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and again, I'm very fond of the nucleus of the swarm. He gets, a, uh, he gets pretty short shrift, I think, from many people. Mm-hmm. I think he looks pretty cool and difficult, I think, to design a giant size microbe, if that isn't a tautology, which it is. Well, I think where it falls down is it's kind of this blob when it's inside the doctor's mind with a claw, but then when it uh, is macro-sized outside of the doctor, it becomes this prawn. And so it's not the same monster (laughs) inside and micro-sized is macro-sized, so it's a little bit of a disconnect between the two yeah and i think actually in some ways maybe this is the production team learning as i think as we know from claws of axos and from ark in space it is very actually very difficult to do blobs well and also from the gel guards as well you can't really do a blob a blob sounds really exciting and fun when you write it down on Mm -hmm. a piece of paper but but you can't do a practical effect blob really they did try it with Arado in Creature from the Pit, well, another also... giant monster. <laughs> and, that's true. And that's a very obscene blob due to, it's a blob. What do you do with a blob? Oh, let's stick an appendage on it. Because obviously, how can the blob interact with people unless it has an appendage? Right. And then immediately people go, oh, it's a big, it's, it's one of those. Um, right. <laughs> I'll also add in the cat people. Hmm, I guess you could. They're big cats, right? Yeah, that's more of an RTD thing where he's always making... Yeah. Well, it's not. He didn't... Well, we certainly had it in Survival, too, with the Cheetah people. Oh, so those it are also seems... giant cats, aren't they? Yeah. But I think that's a cross 
between as we'd go like an island of Dr. Moreau type thing where you have human animal hybrid type things which are scary not necessarily their size is what makes them scary it's that you know, they're I, half human half animal yeah i hadn't actually connected the cheetah people and the cat people before that's interesting i wonder why you know, rtd didn't go with because you obviously you know the cheetah people have got amazing mm-hmm. powers they can teleport themselves across interstellar space mm-hmm. in a way that's very convenient for the plot um <laughs> I wonder why, um, I mean, it seems odd, a little bit odd to me that RTD didn't kind of include some kind of reference to the Cheetah People's powers when he was developing the Cat Nuns. But um, I don't know, maybe maybe the Cheetah People are super far in the future when the, mm-hmm. the Cat People have developed telekinetic powers. <laughs> it just occurred to me, yeah. with the Cat People, we also have Brannigan, which is Father oh, oh, Dougal. Uh, Father Dougal, <laughs> of course, that's true. It's just going it's to be all, it's con- all t- connected to Father it Ted. It all connects. It all, <laughs> everything comes back to Father Ted, indeed. Um, for those those listeners who've not watched Father Ted, go and watch Father Ted immediately because it's hilarious. Yeah. Okay. Any more horrible things or regular sized things that become big? Well, uh, with a twist, I guess we have Kroll, which is a squid, an ordinary squid that absorbed the fifth segment of the key to time and became gigantic. Yeah, I, I remember that actually confusing me when I was uh, when I watched it as a kid because obviously Kroll doesn't look anything right. like a squid, and then when he becomes small, he just mm-hmm. becomes some squid that they bought at the fishmongers in Norfolk, um, and then just sort of threw around a bit. Um, but yes, I mean technically speaking as well, and I wonder whether that also connects with I'm mean, thinking about blobs too, how as depicted in novelizations, both on the cover and then also in descriptions. The uh, the nesting consciousness was a giant squid of some kind with a claw, like an octopus creature of some kind, which you know, it's tentacle, tentacle, a, a tentacle yeah. creature, especially in Terror of the Ordens, where you know it right. manifests itself over the uh, over the radio telescope. Um, and mm-hmm. of course, when again, I can remember being very disappointed when, as <laughs> when as an adult, I guess, um, I finally finally was able to watch. Terror of the Ordens, and it wasn't a giant squid at all. It was just a, you know, a <laughs> an electronically produced blobby thing floating mm-hmm. in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's CSO and it's Barry Lutz. Barry Lutz, and... <laughs> it's the, through the magic of CSO, exactly. Barry never thought of anything that he didn't think CSO would improve. So would you consider the crinoid to be something that would just grow in size or like an average plant? Or was the crinoid always always becomes big that's just its natural state to just keep growing would just would a crinoid I, fall into this supersized camp you know i've always vaguely lumped the crinoid well i mean of course and this is also on my list you know uh, now fans are able to kind of you know lump the crinoid with axos since the episode one and two crinoid is a resprayed axon right um, but again at the time i remember kind of vaguely lumping in my head the crinoid with with a giant robot Hmm. In that it's a thing that starts out being kind of, you know, human-sized and you can right. fight it with a sword or with guns and things. But then by some form of magic, it grows to a giant size and then the only way you can get rid of it is by um, uh, bombing it with an aeroplane. Hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I definitely, I mean, the crinoid is interesting. I mean, it starts out as being a regular-sized monster and then it becomes a giant monster. And I think, again, like, uh, like with Robot, starts out being a kind of regular-sized-ish right. monster and then becomes a giant monster. Michael Kilgariff size monster and then super colossal. 
<laughs> yeah, and I think again, I mean, that falls into your uh, description analysis that you know, episode, you know, the final episode, episode four, episode six. How do we ramp up the threat to an extent that it becomes more than the threat that we've established in the previous episodes? What we do is we make it extremely big. I think we see that with the evil of the Daleks, with the Dalek Emperor. He was on my list as well. Except, well he, she, it. It. Um, do <laughs> the Emperor. To, I do yeah. want to misgender the Emperor. That would be very, <laughs> be very wrong of me. Yeah, Daleks really don't refer to themselves by he, she pronouns at all. No, I think they're probably, well, they're either, I don't know, they're non-binary, aren't they really, Daleks? I don't, or, we, or, we'll have or, to get one on the podcast and ask them. <laughs> Ask them what, what pronouns they prefer. We should, we should do that. We should start inviting monsters onto the podcast and just like ask them questions. That'll be that'll be in July. I'll see you at our booking agent. Can, there you go. Can do. <laughs> yeah, Dalek now, Emperor. Because again, as I think we all know, Evil of the Daleks was intended to be you know the Dalek swan song. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, it's interesting to me, and I don't think I've actually read about where this happened in the comic strips. Which are uh, you know running almost concurrently with yeah. Evil of the Daleks. Um, the Emperor is very different, yeah. and they choose to make him a just a in the TV show like a big kind of Nelson's Column style <laughs> monolith, <laughs> opposed to the TV comics where it's a little squat Napoleon Dalek. <laughs> he is like Napoleon. That's like, he's definitely like Napoleon. So we have Nelson on one end of Napoleon. the terrifying. Napoleon. <laughs> Though I guess I'm thinking monolith. Maybe he's also kind of like Stanley Kubrick as well. He's a Stanley Kubrick style Dalek. He's just proto like, uh, 2001. Exactly. Yeah, he's just a big immobile object mm-hmm. with a big boomy voice, which is nice. Well, I kind of see uh, the giant robot or robot for Tom Baker's debut story, much in the line that I see Azal in the Demons, where Azal is at the beginning is really small, or you have a box size, which is a, a smaller actor portraying this gargoyle and but then at the end for the climactic it's us all he's this huge demon you know towering over everything and i think actually what i like about azal is he fits both into the kind of robot box and then also into the planet of giant box you know he can be incredibly small or he can be incredibly big and i think as far as i remember that's how they you know work out what the you know the kind of heat versus cooling yeah. thing um, mm-hmm. is that when he becomes big everything gets cold and whether he became no who is it the other way around um, uh, temperature changes depending on his size which is to mm-hmm. do with physics that I've forgotten about. Well, it's uh, Doctor Who physics. Doctor Who physics. That's true. It's <laughs> certainly not A level physics. That's true. Of course, <laughs> if we're talking about Azal, we have got to include the Beast as well. Mm, the, the almost a callback, well, kind of a callback between Sutek and. Azal, so the very huge horned, for lack of better, devil type creature. Devil creature. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting choice, I think, in terms of the production team on that two-parter, um, because for a kind of nameless evil from the beginning of time, you can either go, you know, H.P. Lovecraft and have it be like a gibbering darkness of some kind, right. which would have been a lot cheaper, or you can go full kind of Dennis Wheatley or or the demons. And have it. It's the devil. Um, and I think it's interesting they went with it's the devil. If my memory is By not... appearance. Yeah, I think if the, my memory isn't playing tricks on me, they had a hard time deciding what to do, how to manifest this evil. Right, and, right. And I think this was uh, what they came up with relatively close to 
script delivery time. Now, I I don't know if it was Matt Jones, the writer who was coming up short with the idea, or if it was uh, Russell T. Davis who was coming up with the short idea. Yeah, it's interesting. I think at the time, because obviously I watched that show as an adult, I was a bit disappointed by the Beast because it seemed to be, okay, yeah, all right, the evil from the beginning of time is, you know, the devil, Mm -hmm. or, you know, looks like the devil. It was a nice callback to the demons, i.e. the reason why we think the devil looks like the way the devil looks like is because of Azal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I guess, you know, again, the, way, the reason why we think the devil looks like the devil is also because of the beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, it was like, you know, well, they could have done a bit more with that. But again, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard to design stuff from scratch mm-hmm. on the, you know, the accelerated production schedule. Yeah, so you know, it's probably then easier just to default to, mm-hmm. oh, right, it's like a big creature with horns, like, um, I don't know, like the front of a uh, Iron Maiden album. <laughs> well, here's what, here's what I found. Uh, oh, cool. I found a little bit. This is from Shannon Sullivan's uh, A Brief History of Time Travel. Fearing that the production would not be able to afford an elaborate CGI creation, Davis came up with a number of alternative suggestions which he offered to Jones, such as an old man or a gigantic eye. He was especially fond of having the beast appear in the form of a young girl, inspired by one of the avatars of the senior partners in the vampire drama Angel. Davis also briefly considered using the future human concept he had originally offered for use in Dalek, which is the Toclophane. Toclophane, right. When it appeared for a time that the rights to use the Daleks themselves would be unavailable. In the end, however, money was eventually reallocated to allow for a computer-animated realization of the devil-shaped beast. Interesting. Interesting. So it was production limitations that might have made the beast something other than the devil. Right. So it was it was written as the devil, and mm-hmm. the, but then the concern was that sounds difficult. I mean, they could have just you know done a little girl, person, a big person, <laughs> a devil mask, just kind of with CSO. That's the way Barry would have done it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, he would have got uh, well uh, Stephen Thorne and exactly dressed him up and then put him against CSO and. Job done, yeah. <laughs> Jobs are good. Um, that 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 is super interesting. Um, thinking about big things that used to be small, or small things that used to be big. Where do we see the dinosaurs in the invasion of the dinosaurs? Well, they're certainly big. They're just big monsters, I think, in general. Because in general, I mean, they are. It's, again, I was thinking about this because uh, you know maybe I'm being too kind of postmodern or something, but. The experience you have of dinosaurs, certainly as a kid, is they're small. Mm -hmm. Um, They're things that you play with and they're, you know, they're the size of your hand or something. Obviously, dinosaurs themselves were were big. Um, I don't think they were quite as big as in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. But, of course, they're played by models. Right. Which is kind of interesting. Or puppets, even. Yeah, like the Drashic puppets, again. Oh, I didn't have Drashigs on my list. <laughs> I missed out Drashigs. Nice one. Good catch. Yeah. And so you have that whole dinosaur type monster, which you have in the Drashigs. You also have the Scarazin and Terror of the Zygons. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, so the, I think the dinosaurs are kind of follow in that, that, that style. Right. And that type of mindset where you effectively you have giant lizards. Now they can be giant space lizards like you have with the Drashigs or the Scarazins, or you can have uh, prehistoric giant lizards. And they were lizards at the time. They weren't dinosaurs in early 70s uh, right. uh, of a monster. And that's a, that's been common in television and film production since 
the advent of, of it as a visual medium. So it, right. it, it seems like this is something that if you want to look at, the, I think, the first dinosaur in Doctor Who, which was in Doctor Who and the Silurians, which is, again, a, a giant Tyrannosaurus Rex, it's, it's something that is understood by the audiences to be really scary. Yeah, and I think also, it's also understood, understood by the Doctor to be really scary. I'm thinking about the colony in space, where uh, obviously there's not actually a giant lizard, but it's something that looks like a giant lizard. Oh, the big um, claw, yeah. And, and certainly, you know, it certainly initially frightens the Doctor very much. We also have it in uh, Deep Breath with the Tyrannosaurus Rex, where it's more of a comedic bit where the Doctor is trying to look after this Tyrannosaurus Rex who's been transported through time. You know, which is a Tyrannosaurus Rex, which varies greatly in size yeah. throughout throughout the um, throughout the episode. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, I think it, from various times it's the size of a regular Tyrannosaurus, but at various points it ends up being something you know the size of the Big Ben clock tower. I think the playing with size and uh, the increasing of size. We're touching on that again, where we have. Like the Mara, which is a snake. It could be a snake that appears on your arm, a really small snake, or then at the end of Kindo, where it's a huge studio prop snake that kind of sways and you have to surround it by people. So it's that part four amplifying the size. How do we make this even more scary? Well, snakes are pretty scary to begin with, but if we make it bigger than all the people around it, then it becomes terrifying. Yeah. Which, on paper, yeah. it certainly does. Yeah. <laughs> well, talking about another another kind of, you know, final episode threat that on paper is incredibly scary, doesn't really, possibly doesn't work in the studio. Um, think about the Merca, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, which is basically a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, the production budget couldn't run to an actual designed dinosaur, so they had to kind of invent a space dinosaur instead. Right. But, um, yeah. Big size. Big size, very scary or not, depending on, you know, your um, appreciation of the show, I think. When Johnny Morris did uh, the Mirka in Blood Tide, the big Finnish Silurian Colin Baker story, the Mirka was much more terrifying than, obviously, the budget to have this uh, underwater beast that could electroshock people was a lot easier or a lot more cost-effective to do in audio than it would have been in video. And in the Mirka in Blood Tide, it's huge it's threatening an entire 18th century sailing ship right. rather than the ingrid pit in a hallway type right, size right. monster yeah 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 which is again you know makes it it's easy to make the murka frightening on the page um mm-hmm. and it's very very hard to make something like that frightening in the studio and again i think it's i think it's i think you know a lot of this is about how awesome doctor who is you know they're not afraid to try things and see how it goes would you, if you were producing, want to have another crack at the Merca? Try to do a story with uh, sea devils in the Merca and see if you could realize it through uh, modern special effect techniques? You know, I, I'd rather the sea devils had an actual documented dinosaur, in fact, um, mm. rather than the, you know, kind of pretend made up dinosaur. Though I suppose, you know, with the contemporary Jurassic Park movies have now segued into pretend made up, made up dinosaurs. So I don't know. Huh. Um, yeah, plesiosaurus, I guess. Or yeah, plesiosaurus. One of those. Yeah, th- something that could you know, something with razor sharp teeth. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, and hang on, I I missed out something on my list in terms of you know scary small things that become big. Hmm. We can't forget Planet of the Spiders, and I'm sure oh, you haven't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The eight legs. 
the eight legs exactly who i think I, I think along with the maggots are probably for me the two scariest small things that become big um those hmm. the, the the spiders are, i mean i'm not frightened of spiders at all but it's their voices are incredibly effective and very well done kismet delgado <laughs> indeed kismet delgado pulling out a great spider impression they're really really creepy and they also talk in a way that's really accurate it's like okay that's probably how spiders would talk if spiders could talk did you find them as effective when you were a little kid watching them in planet of the spiders as you saw in arachnids in the uk with uh jody whitaker and the fam no and i think i and I, I i a obviously i'm you know twice three times four times as old at that right. point um right i think it's the kind of spider you know, arachnids in the uk use the um you know, a kind of tarantula-style spider, and they move Kind of like, a wolf-house spider type. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a... Um, uh, which I actually, in some ways, I think actually was the possibly what was the original design for the spiders in Planet of the Spiders. Um, but what they ended up in Planet of the Spiders was actually, for me as a kid, and obviously things are a lot more scary and impressive when you're a kid, um, th- those were the kind of spiders I'd see around the house, that very, very close to a British house spider. Mm-hmm. Um, so like fat bodies and long, long spindly legs. Daddy um, long legs type thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Though daddy long legs is something else in Britain um, rather than a oh. spider. Oh. oh, yeah. No, I've long arguments with my wife really? about this. Yes. Really? Well, so what is a daddy long legs in the UK? Um, daddy long legs, is it, do you call them crane flies here? Possibly. I don't. I... Yeah, those like, those like insects that fly around and have big long legs. Huh. Yeah, they kind of liked like supersized mosquitoes. Yeah, yeah, those things. Those are daddy long legs. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, and daddy long legs technically aren't even spiders in in the U.S. They're just like long, I think they're six-legged, but they have really spindly, spindly legs. Right, right. And I think that's what, to me, that's what makes the the Planet of the Spider spider scary is A, their spindly legs, which look sharp and looks like they might they might poke you and also the way that they move which is basically not at all but they vibrate rather than move and i think <laughs> right. the kind of smooth kind of tarantula movements of the computer generated spiders in arachnids in the uk with their kind of you know sort of friendly hairy legs um <laughs> i mean my sister had a pet tarantula so oh. uh, you know i'm not that frightened of tarantulas how about the giant beetle and turn left yeah. On Donna's back, because that's yeah. another small made big. Yeah, that is another small made big. I hadn't thought about that. Huh. I mean, what did you think of the of the Rackneys in the UK spiders? Terribly well done, uh, but... Not very frightening. I'm not very freaked out about spiders, so they're not one of my go-to uh, horror things. I, I'm not sure what I would have done to make it more scary, but it's sort of... If I recall, cast my mind back, I was more interested in the uh, uh, the housing complex, which <laughs> than I was in the spiders. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they're very well done, but not very scary for me. Because spiders, no. I think I had a hard time suspending my disbelief that spiders could be made that big. And they were, aside from the queen spider in Planet of the Spiders, the, the other spiders were maybe fist-sized bodies. Well, they were or, the same size as the, you know, as the bug on Donna's back. You know, they were yeah. they're kind of back-sized. They can climb right. on your back. Yeah, yeah, which 
which which is scary that, actually that's more that scary is more than creepy it. than yeah. them hunting and treating you like prey i guess but that the the whole mind control aspect i found more creepy than just oh yeah they're hungry and they're they're animals and they're gonna eat whatever's around yeah yeah it's like um you know in some ways it's more i think going back to jurassic park i can't remember which jurassic park movie it is but i think there's a pre-credits or there's an early sequence in one of the movies where someone gets attacked and eaten by very very tiny dinosaurs um and that always that seems to me to be kind of more frightening i mean like the whole you know the kind of 70s thing when i was a kid you know everyone was scared of piranha fish and the idea you know you'd go into the into the into the <laughs> river and there'd be you'd be eaten you'd be death by a thousand cuts you'd be right, eaten by something right. very 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 small but there's a lot of them um and i think in some ways that's what makes the 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 you know the planet of the spiders frightening and creepy is the way that they look and also the way that they talk i mean the the, the spiders in arachnids in the uk don't talk um mm-hmm. which arguably they should have done that would have made them more scary so hang on what so the, you were afraid of piranhas but also giant clams was there someone someone in the uk or <laughs> uk culture that was trying to make the water terrifying to kids Oh yeah, well, I mean, the, the the other thing, of course, and I think this is true in the, in America as well, is quicksand in the seventies too. It's like quicksand, giant clams, and piranha fish. They were they were the kind of triumvirate of watery, <laughs> watery threat. Yeah, giant clam. You're, you're right there. We haven't mentioned the giant clam yet. That's a that's a classic. Well, giant clams are a thing. I know they're I know they're a giant thing. Yeah. Um, and but uh, they're made even giganticer, <laughs> even bigger. And also aggressive, I think, in a way that possibly giant clams aren't really aggressive in in real life. And above water. And above water, yeah. Those are the two. Those are the two innovations that Davros <laughs> applied to the clam. <laughs> is he made it physically aggressive and also able to live out of water? Terrifying stuff, that Davros. Yeah, I'm, I mean, just imagine. I mean, I, I don't know why it was abandoned as a weapon. To be honest, I mean. You imagine like no man's land kind of littered with giant clams. They're effectively man traps, mm-hmm. but are mobile and eat you. So, you know, they're, they're actually better than a regular man trap. Yeah. Speaking of man traps, I think we had, didn't we have like a giant carnivorous plant in the invasion of time in the doctor's garden TARDIS somewhere? Oh, it, yeah. Was that the episode that we had? Yeah. It ate, that he ate a Santaran? He did eat a Santaran. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And actually, sorry, thinking thinking about that particular era, I mean, and thinking about the kind of fourth episode threat, I, mean, I think the Fendal fall into mm, kind of giant mm-hmm. monster territories like, OK, yep. it's a it's a golden woman. Um, it's something, but... it's something quite small. Oh, no, no, it's something quite big. Um, what are we going to do now? Kind of thing, which I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of fits again, fits into that model that we've been developing. What kind of circumvents that big monster at the end is Terror of the Zygons, where the Scarison makes a debut in the middle of the story, and then an encore performance at the very end once Broton has been defeated. But it's more of an invasion of the dinosaurs ongoing monster. Right, right. And I kind of uh, make the modern-day analog to that is that giant uh, snake eel creature in thin ice which is heading north at the end towards Loch Ness. I'm wondering if this is yet another explanation for the Loch Ness monster, or heavily implied to be. I I think the eel, the giant underwater electric um, anti-slavery eel, also (laughs) fits into the model of kind of new who's monsters that attack London that, that have 
variable and not very likely size. So I think I've already mentioned, you know, the way the Tyrannosaurus right. uh, changes in radically in size. Which I actually, at the time, I thought, well, maybe that's an homage to, you know, those images of King Kong, the first King Kong movie, where, you know, he, he, the, the kind of classic image of Kong, he's kind of, it's he's like twice as big as the Empire State Building. And, right. and, and of course, that Tyrannosaurus in, in deep breath is, you know, twice the size of, of, of the Houses of Parliament. Um, that, I think, for me, links into the Cyber King. Yeah, yes, indeed. Which um, starts out as being... Implausibly large. Yeah, starts out <laughs> something, well, that maybe that's an okay size and then ends up being, you know, taller than the tallest building. Mm-hmm. They make it too big. And again, I wonder why they did that. Because to me, you know, a threat... A threat of that size just becomes sort of, I think, unrealistic is probably the wrong the wrong word to use. But again, thinking about the spiders, you know, if you make it, the make you make the threat the threat kind of big but not giant, right. then it's kind of more threatening. I wonder if that was Russell Russell T Davis's idea just to make it that big, or if it was if you scale up. Okay, we want Miss Hardigan on the bridge, kind of at the eye level, and you want. And number of Cybermen beside her. If we scale up that, does it have to be that big? Or uh, that doesn't seem to make sense because it towered over St. Paul's, didn't it? Yeah, no. I mean, if you look down and like you know, the streets of London were like you're looking from an airplane. Or something. I mean, maybe they felt well. If the denouement is with, with a hot air balloon, which it is, mm-hmm. as far as I remember, mm-hmm. um, maybe they you know to have it you know just as tall as St. Paul's doesn't make any sense because. Right. A hot air balloon wouldn't hover at you know kind of right. chest height uh, if you're as tall as St. Paul's. Yeah, that, that it was probably driven by the hot air balloon more than the size. Yeah, and that in that you couldn't think of a way to defeat a threat that was the size of St. Paul's, but if you increased it so it was you know four or five times the size of St. Paul's, you could then defeat that threat using a hot air balloon. Yeah. 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 I think you could have still scaled them down a little bit more. And- yeah. And again, I mean, you have to be able to defeat the threat in the way that doesn't involve the army. You know, it has to be, mm-hmm. a, you have to be able to defeat the threat in a way that's immediately available to you. And also, and again, you know, this is, I think, true of every Earth invasion Doctor Who story, as little as possible. As far as possible, it's got to be something that people can forget. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you involve the army, then people aren't going to forget. But I guess, you know, maybe if it's just so big, you can't even really see it. it's up in the clouds, maybe you'd you would have forgotten about it come Christmas Day. I think for forgettable monsters, you go look back at like Terror of the Zygons. If you put it in a small, air quotes, Scottish village, that becomes forgettable where it becomes a bit of a stretch as you have the Loch Ness Monster attacking the Houses of Parliament or whatever in the Thames. Right, right. That's, that's where you get the whole Davis Moffat era commentary is uh, where – People, humans are always forgetting things right in front of them. You right. have had all these invasions, but you can't remember any of them. Yes, it's still something new um, when the next invasion happens. But it's, I think it's much more easier to explain away like Azal, which is in a small English village, or the the Malice in The Awakening, oh, yeah. which is another giant thing in a church. Right, 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 right. Because it's, it's, it's much more uh, geographically uh, isolated. Right, right. No, that makes uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think these aren't giant things, but I mean they're big. You think about the, you know the contrast between, between the Yeti in the Himalayas versus mm-hmm. the Yeti in, in the London Underground. Obviously, you make the you make the threat more relatable 
if you have it in a place <laughs> where people spend time, um, but you also make it a lot more unlikely. <laughs> I wonder if uh, we ever did get that third Yeti story by Lincoln and Hazeman, if we would have had giant Yeti. <laughs> Supersized Yeti, King Kong-sized Yeti, Attack of the Giant Yeti. As I think, as we talked about last week, I'm, I, I, I really, I really like the the fact that the Great Intelligence is obsessed <laughs> by, by using Yeti. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like an excellent kind of, I don't know. Um, the Great Intelligence thinks it's so smart, but it's really not that smart because mm-hmm. it thinks Yeti is the scariest thing ever with the kind of mind. Um <laughs> <laughs> Another one on my list was the space whale. Not really the monster of that story, though. It's well, that more... was my question exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's it's just a big thing. I mean, it's alive, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really do anything in the uh, you know it doesn't do anything monstrous. It just sort of no, happens. The Smilers, which were the bad, they were the villains. Yeah, 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 they were the antagonists or whatever the correct phrases so maybe that's one of the twists you know it's like the ice warriors being good we have the big monster the space whale but it's really not the monster it's the means of conveyance it's the whole reason the starship uk exists is because of the space whale yeah yeah and then again i mean when i was thinking about this i was thinking about okay what about monsters and maybe this falls into the kind of crinoid territory even though i guess the crinoid started out small and then became big um monsters that are kind of naturally big and I was thinking of the antimatter monster in um, Planets of Evil, which is obviously it's a big monster, right? Um, but it's naturally big. It didn't start out small. Do you think like the Jaggerfest is one of those monsters that's are naturally big? Yeah, like in the long game. Yeah, naturally yeah. big. Whether that counts as being a gigantic monster or whether it's just kind of okay, this is this is how big a Jaggerfest is. I think that's the same um, camp than that you would put like the dinosaurs or the Drashigs in there. That yeah. these are just big to begin with, but they're not. Uh, they're they're the monster, but they're just they're big. It's not. Yeah. It's not like we're gonna supersize it in episode four to make it even bigger it's a thing that just popped into my head i mean we've talked about the drashigs and we've talked about the mm-hmm. dinosaurs in invasion of the dinosaurs the drashigs even now and again obviously i'm a lot older the drashigs are incredibly successful i think as puppets they look scary they move scary they have big scary mouths mm-hmm. um they're totally believable as something that that, that that you're really afraid of and they're also to me also com- still completely believable as something that is you know, that actually exists i wonder whether that was one of the reasons why they were so convinced that the puppets the you know the lizard monster puppets for invasion of the dinosaurs would work when obviously patently they didn't actually work that well at all you know maybe they looked at the drashigs and thought okay yeah this this works really well um, yeah, we'll just do the same thing with the, with the dinosaurs. The two things that differ, and I, I'm going to compare it to the puppet, the Scarison puppet at the end of Terror yeah, of the Zygons, right. where the big difference is, is the Drashic had that animal jaw, that, that those teeth. So that was very grounded in reality. And it was also filmed right. rather than on television. So with the puppet that they did for like the Scarison, it's a video effect and it doesn't seem to have that grounding that the stop motion scarison even has or the drashics have where you have that animal jaw it going for like the dinosaurs the rubber dinosaur puppets nothing of it is real it's just a rubber hand puppet tyrannosaurus right, rex right. and it's really hard to make it 
move effectively. Yeah. The other thing that really worked well with the Drashik is the sound design. Right. And the scream of the Drashik was also very spooky yeah. and terrifying. Yeah. So a, a lot of those things combined to make the Drashiks effective. And I think they filmed it even at kind of in slow motion. So, yeah. Or high speed. High, and high then speed s- and then slowed. Yeah. So you would see the water dripping off of it and it made it really well to the location footage that the Drashics were supposed to be in. So I think all, all those things combine yeah. much better than where you have the dinosaurs and the scarison where you're seeing it in London and that suspension of disbelief is much, much harder than Yeah. And I I, I think out in the Martian defense where you see the Drashik right. or the Scarison stop motion. Yeah, and I think actually if you think about it, it's a lot easier and therefore more more effective to be able to kind of mat something in with CSO to a flat landscape. Um, mm-hmm. than it is to do something to do it in a in a you know a landscape that isn't flat like London for instance. Um, I mean, I guess they failed with Crawl, but I mean, again, I, you could see how they thought that that would be possible. It's basically the horizon line is a, is, it's literally a mm-hmm. line. So we can just drop this on top of the line and it will look awesome. And I totally agree with you. I mean, I think, I think it was, do- they, they used dog skeletons, right? They used dog skulls. Probably a corgi. <laughs> yeah, it was like a corgi, or I think a terrier, um, yeah. Jack Russell terrier for, that could be. Uh, yeah. for, for the, for, for the Drashigs and for the Scarison. And it makes, it just makes them look real. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the kind of rubbery looking teeth of the invasion of the dinosaurs, dinosaurs that just kind of, okay, well, the teeth is the thing. That's what you look at. That's when you're talking to human, to a, I was going to say human person, but to no human being, you look at their face. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're being scared by a dinosaur, you look at its face. And if its teeth are all kind of rubbery and, right. and unconvincing, you're right. not going to be convinced. If it's the teeth of a dog, it's like, that's really frightening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So one of the ones that isn't so frightening and i'm not <laughs> i'm not sure i guess it was the obvious one for the angels how you're going to make the weeping angels terrifying you have the statue of liberty angel. yeah and i don't know if it's because i'm an american or because of it was a stretch too far it just didn't work to me as the big scary angel threat that i think uh, moffat had in mind yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's a great idea. I like it as an idea. I think it connects to, you know, there's kind of Ray Harrison movies, Ray Harry Hazard movies like um, Jason and the Argonauts, where the, you know, the mm-hmm. giant bronze Colossus of Rhodes statue comes alive right. and, you know, pursues the crew. Um, but A, I, you know, they, I, I don't think the CGI worked that well. Um, and I don't think the sound design worked that well either. And also, you know, it's a, it's a woman in a dress. Um, well, so are the angels. That's true, and I actually don't find the angels that frightening either. You know, it's not—it's just not that intimidating, really, to be honest. Um, I mean, I know that's complete kind of heresy for me to kind of admit that I don't find the angels that frightening, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I think they were effective in their first outing because it was—you know—it was a Moffat kind of. It's a crack. It's scary. It's stuff right. you find in your eye in your eye in the morning. It's scary. You know, it's those kind of things that are scary um idea mm-hmm. but then as soon as you start to try and okay what do they actually do all day right and i get you know it's a problem in general you know what do monsters do when they're not being monsters <laughs> but you know with the angels what are, what are the angels actually for what do they do if, if the whole thing starts to fall apart for me yeah. yeah i thought they were effective reworking of the angels in the time of angels flesh and stone right but i think once you open that door that that they're this 
ancient race. I don't see where you go from there. It's sort of like you, I think if you kept with the original concept that it's more like the Vashna Narada in uh, Silence in the Library. If if these are beings that live in the shadow, the angels are, you're going through a a big hallway and there's statuary. That's what's creepy because they're kind of human form and did they move or did they not move? To hear the giant Statue of Liberty thumping across Manhattan, that isn't as it just it doesn't have the same level of fear factor that the weeping angels originally had it just becomes a little bit too silly i think yeah yeah it does become silly and i mean where i would have gone with the angels to be honest and you know maybe this is a bit reductive i would have gone the davros route with the angels i would have had a a story where you know we meet the sculptor who is the creator of the angels Mm. and we find Mm. out exactly what the angels are supposed to be doing with themselves I said when they're not just hanging around being angels and you know why that they why why they look like angels when you know they're kind of interdimensional interstellar assassins of some kind well you know they're going to look weird on the planet yeah. of the zygons because they don't yeah. look like zygons they look like angels so you know yeah. they, they 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 it sort of breaks down as soon as you start to kind of universalize them and certainly it's a fun idea to say oh no statuality it's not actually that frightening even if you imagine at the end of that episode, there's a kind of a slugfest between a giant Statue of Liberty and, I don't know, a giant robot or something, um, like kind of Godzilla, that would just be ridiculous. It would be funny, but it would be ridiculous. Yeah. I like your idea of going and instead of making them a sentient alien race, make them basically constructs or something that were yeah. more designed as ultimate killing weapons. That that would have made more sense to me. And then, you know, you can, okay, well, if they're weapons, then, you know, they're dormant and then they get activated and, you know, they were made by a human, so they look like humans. I don't know, you know, I mean... And it would make sense that they would get powered off of sending people back in time, but it could be a humane way of taking people out of their timeline. Sort of like, well, we're, see, we're not killing them. At the, maybe that was the sculptor's idea that they're... I mean, yeah, uh, this I mean, is humane. We're not killing yeah. them. We're just taking them away from the situation where they're going to cause a problem or something like that. I mean, to be completely fanish about it, you know, one could imagine them being like a Time Lord weapon of some kind, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because obviously they use time as their assassination device. Right. And they look like humans, which is mm-hmm. also what Time Lords look like. And I don't know. So, yeah, that's yeah. where I would have gone with it. The other thing I would have done with the angels, actually, is I would have... To just take from the the Statue of Liberty concept, I would have taken them up to the north of England and done the Angel of the North, um, which hmm. is you know that giant. Not angel. familiar with that. It's a giant statue of an angel outside Newcastle in huh. um, uh, Sunderland. Is it Sunderland? Or get my um, Gateshead. Beg- begging their pardon. Um, in Gateshead, which is like a giant, huge sculpture of an angel, and. Uh, I think that would have, and it, because it doesn't have a face and it's, you mm-hmm. know, it's a piece of modernist sculpture, um, I think that actually would have been a lot more intimidating to have flying around like Mothra <laughs> than, uh, than, than the Statue of Liberty stalking around like, a, like Godzilla in a dress. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that would, work, would have worked better, but you wouldn't have had BBC America foot in the bill for that. That's true. That so is true. That's probably why we had Angels Take Manhattan. 
Um, that is the end of my list, really. I well, have to I, say. I'm oh. not going to let you escape without going back to Ardal O'Hanlon again in Father Ted because yeah. we left off the macro, which appeared in oh, of course, Gridlock, which he was in. The clue is in the name macro, but also yeah. in the Macro Terra, <laughs> where we have these giant crab-like beings, beasties that are effectively crabs or beetles on the beach or some kind of uh, insect. Macro crabs, if you will. Macro crabs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. And (laughs) we've criticized a little bit some aspects of the recent animations. I I really enjoyed the the macro terror animation. I think they do the macro very, very well. The animation for the macro, I think, is a good modern take on what they would look like um, when they originally appeared. They were more like uh, VW Beetles, I think. Yeah. <laughs> with they big were like, claws. They were like, yeah, they were like Morris Miners with claws on. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Morris Miners. Yeah. 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 So uh, again, it's uh, the threat is uh, supersizing. I don't know if the macro terror, if the macro were just small, small crabs that, I mean, that's more, probably more plausible that you have these, uh, mind control crabs but if you make them bigger you have that whole threat of well these crabs can grab me around the waist and right know, cut me in two or right you know that polly was terrified or ben and polly were terrified which, which again is this idea of a threat which is you know human sized i mean the idea of being cut in two by like a crab's claw is mm-hmm. you know uh, if the crab is the size of the Empire State Building, it's like, well, maybe I'll just run away and it won't be able to find me because it's too big. But if the crab is the size of a room, um, I'm just sitting in my room right now imagining a giant crab sitting here and it's going to attack me. That's actually kind of frightening and scary. No place to hide. Exactly, yeah. No place to hide, indeed. So do you think the Zarbi, going all the way back to what we name-checked to begin this with, were meant to be scary monsters, or do you think it was more like the planet of the giants where we had the giant ant and the giant ants and that are the Zarbi, just more, I wouldn't say lack of imagination, because I think the web planet is very imaginative. Well, didn't Bill Strutton, the writer, seeing an ant's nest and ants attacking a moth or something? Hmm. I think I've read that somewhere. Yeah, I think that was the, the kernel of yeah. the idea behind web, web planet. Yeah, and I yeah. think, uh, I mean, I, as I think regular listeners of this podcast will know, I'm a big fan of the web planet. I think it's amazing that they decided that this would be a thing that they could do when it was obvious that it was a thing that they couldn't do, but they went ahead and did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's what if moths and ants were human people mm-hmm. rather than what if ants and moths were, ver- were very, very big. Yeah. Um, so I think, it's, I think it's slightly different in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think it's an effective technique to make the something common or something yeah, I think, everyday big. I, I, I definitely, but I think you have to be careful what you do. I mean, there's that famous movie, isn't there, Night of the Lepers, where they they make rabbits a giant size and the town gets attacked by giant rabbits, <laughs> and which is, you know, I think is a, a kind of a classic, not very scary giant, giant animal movie because they're rabbits. Again, something like the giant maggots, I think are particularly effective because A, they're maggots and maggots are gross. And also to... I think go back to my point about the macro and also the spiders in Planet of the Spiders, they are not that big. Mm-hmm. 
they are just bigger than normal. If you'd imagine, you know, a giant maggot the size of a sandworm from Dune, <laughs> we, you'd just kind of run away and it wouldn't be able to find you because right. it's too big. You right. could just hide in a house and it would be just like slime past you. But a maggot, you know, the maggot that attacks Joe in her front room when she's sitting by the fire, that's terrifying because it's, you know, it's the size of a dog. And, you know, you can imagine being eaten by a pack of maggots. That's just a horrific idea. Yeah. 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 I think it's a particularly effective because you know what maggots do and they they eat flesh. They will. And we saw what happened to Bert early on turning Indeed. green because he got slimed by the maggots. So the whole foreboding that you know what's going to happen if the maggots get a hold of Joe is very, very front and foremost in your mind when you're seeing that maggot creep up on her. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, there you go. So, did we have any more giant things? No, that was that's that's my list. So, listeners, um, if you know of a giant thing that we didn't cover, write in and tell us, and um, we'll cover it next we'll time. Amend maybe. It. <laughs> or we'll just yeah, we'll we'll fix it in post. We'll do an extended version of this podcast featuring your giant <laughs> thing that we didn't think of. Until then. Thank you for listening to episode 191 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been getting big with Ben. And I've been thinking about giant things with David. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>you have a favorite big thing is it the maggots it's got to be the maggots yeah, yeah. well i actually think it's either the maggots or the drashigs um, uh, yeah which i think are particularly successful big things yeah but yeah it's got to be, how about you what's your favorite big thing i have a soft spot for kroll although kroll just doesn't work in any way shape or form but giant squids are pretty terrifying i think yeah they're pretty, well they're they're a denizen of the deep mm-hmm. like the like the piranha fish Yeah, exactly. Don't go in the water, kids. (laughs) Exactly, with the giant clam.